0: church. So, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you (coughs) have figured this out or not, but um, everyone sort of, particularly in our modern day, everyone has an opinion about what it means to be happily married or what it means to be single or what you should do with your singleness. Uh, They have a view of children. Yes, everyone has noticed that. Uh, There's movies about these things. Um, and it's not that the Lord is silent on these issues like singleness and marriage and divorce and his view of children. Um, and so I-, I love that about the scriptures, about the Lord himself. Not only uh, does Jesus really lay out a, a clear calling for singleness and what that is and how that can be embraced, um, Paul does as well, Um you know, the the Bible is so relevant and touches every area of our lives. And um, it's not that this, we, believe. We, you know, it's 2 Corinthians 4, 4, right? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Um, there are people right now who live on the central coast who think, ah, oh, yeah, look, can't be bothered. Can't be bothered with Christianity. Yeah. And, and it, they're just blind it, because they think that this is just, I don't know what they think. I, I've even said to them, people, like, what, what do you think we're doing in here? Holding snakes? I'm taking your money? Like, what, what do you think's going on here? Like, the, the Bible touches every area of our lives and, and speaks to and has, and, and God created you and designed you to live a certain way. And so um, I'm just grateful that as we open up the Word of God together as a church family, uh, we can look at these things together and, and realize that how the scriptures, again, really um, touch. That's right, Daisy girl. Reading the, again, Mommy's reading the Bible with you. That's right. I have to welcome her and embrace her because the passage says that today, right? <laughs> do not hinder, Daisy, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, right? So, yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, as, as we do, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address that a little bit as we come to that. Um, that we, we don't actually want to hinder children, hinder them in any way of stumbling blocks, and we don't want to hinder them um, from growing in their faith, growing with their families together. So oh, we'll come back to that. So um, that said, uh, today we're going to hit on this idea of we're going to continue on. Last week, Jesus had this back and forth with the Pharisees regarding marriage and divorce. You remember that? And then uh, it's probably no small wonder that he continues on this theme and, and gets into then singleness and gets into children, and so that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, one of the beautiful things, and as Dan continues to preach here about expository preaching, is we don't get to pick and choose what we want to say. Um, be be sauce the suspect, right? Sauce of, of any uh, sauce, yeah, whatever. Don't, doesn't matter anymore. Uh, um, be suspect. Uh, that's just, yeah, that's, yeah, it's a proper way to speak. Um, be suspect of, of any person who just picks and chooses what they want to say. Of don't, don't waste your time. Don't bother going to church like that. So just waste your time. Cause you're, cause, and you're only going to grow as far as the pastor's opinion, by the way, right? You're only going to go as far as what the pastor feels comfortable addressing. I mean, what pastor would ever want to teach on, like, you know, church discipline and marriage and divorce? And so uh, may this be a church that continues to, every Sunday, week in and week out, be worth its salt and open up God's word and say, what is Lord, what... Speak, O Lord, right? And, and may we as your church be conformed to what your word says. So uh, so we'll, we'll continue to hit on that said. With no further ado, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump right into the idea of singleness and kids and all that. Sound good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gathering. Um, Lord, as Joel just prayed earlier, it's no coincidence. It's no random uh, happenstance that we are here. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd give us teachable hearts as we look to your word, that we in fact would have eyes to see and ears to hear, that your spirit would cause those truths from your word to become a reality in our lives, the way that we parent, the way that we conduct ourselves as marrieds, as singles, and so on and so forth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so as I mentioned, Jesus last week, if you were here, he had this back and forth with the Pharisees regarding marriage and divorce, and here's what's interesting. Right after he explained, do you remember, they come to him, they said, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? And then Jesus lays out, you know, Genesis, et cetera, and what his view of marriage and divorce is. Here's what's fascinating. They actually don't, at least Matthew re- doesn't record them responding to Jesus, They're actually quite silent. They seem to have left the building. Who we do hear a reaction from are actually the disciples who are quite stunned, quite staggered by what Jesus just said regarding marriage and divorce. His view would have come across as far more strict and conservative Do you remember the the tale of two rabbis? You know, the master chef rabbi, Hillel and Shammai. Well, Jesus doesn't really say, well, I'm with this group or I'm with that group. His view of marriage is far, far more narrow, as it were, far more strict, far more conservative than what their ears are used to hearing. And so when, when Jesus lays that out, they're like, whoa, 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 hold on, Lord. Hold on, hold on a tick. Are you saying that no matter what a spouse does, how nasty she or he can be, or no matter how poorly the marriage is going, that they're sort of stuck in this predicament for life? Is that, Lord, is that what you're saying? If that's the case, I reckon it's best to Play it on the safe side and just be a, you know, bachelor for life, which is basically what they say. I mean, come with me to Matthew 19. Kim just read it for us. Look what they say in Matthew 19.10. So after Jesus lays this out, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is very better not to marry. Oh, you know, look, Jesus, if marriage is that permanent, probably best to give it a miss. You ever wonder what Jesus, when the disciples says stuff like like this, what his face must have looked like, right? When the disciples dropped this idea of they raise the possibility of, of not getting married. Well, we don't know what his face looked like. Matthew doesn't record that. Jesus actually doesn't push back, though, which is a bit surprising. He takes them at their word. In other words, he's like, yep, marriage can be difficult. So celibacy is a real option, guys. It's either, here it is, marriage, fidelity in marriage, right? Marriage with no divorce. Option A. Option B, life of singleness. You can live like a eunuch. Now, I I realize this is a bit TMI, but a eunuch uh, was a man who was castrated and he did this in order to serve a unique role. Uh, typically, uh, eunuchs were guardians of a royal harem. I'll let you figure out the rest and why you you know you can figure that out. But the disciples, we might be kind of awkward or uncomfortable with you know eunuch. The disciples wouldn't have been. They would have been familiar with this, with uh, blokes that had a particular calling, as it were, um, to serve. A a particular cause for royalty. And so here's the point. When you think of someone like that, of a eunuch, right? Who's been castrated, it's not usually the type of bloke you imagine getting hitched and having kids. You with me? Mm -hmm. That's the point. It's a life of singleness. It's in other words, it's it's celibacy with a cause. Okay? This particular bloke was celibate to serve the kingdom, as it were. Which is what Jesus is after here. Look at verse 11 and following. Look, Look at what he says. He says, But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Don't miss what he's saying. Did you see there's three groups of eunuchs that are mentioned? The first two are literal. The last is metaphorical. They made themselves that way. Not to be taken literally. Okay? Although some in church history have, and we won't go down that rabbit trail. But they've made themselves that way. It's a metaphorical, it's a figurative way of saying they've renounced marriage in order to give full attention to God's kingdom. They have set aside marriage. They have renounced marriage for a purpose, for a cause, in order to give full, single devotion, as it were, to serving God in his kingdom. One commentator explains it this way. In using the term eunuch, Jesus meant more than someone simply not marrying, but rather someone's setting aside the right of marriage and procreation. Jesus is suggesting that there are some who will willingly give up the blessing of both marriage and offspring for the sake of the kingdom of God. In other words, marriage isn't for everybody. And that's that's okay. But the reason for renouncing it is not so that you can have more free time for hobbies and for leisure and for having a good life. Some have been given the gift of celibacy so they can offer a single devotion, think of the eunuch, to God. That's why Paul says this in Corinthians. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am. Paul was a single, he was a bachelor, right? He was batching it. Now, we don't know, Paul actually might have been married. We know don't, we don't, there's a lot of debate around this. We don't really know. People debate about stuff that's not clear. Okay. Um, was Paul married? Did his wife leave him? Was he widowed? We, we don't know. But but at the time being, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he says, I wish everybody was like me, was, it, was a bachelor, as it were, or bachelorette, right? But each has his own gift from God. You hear that in 1 Corinthians 7? Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the married and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, you hear what Paul's saying. Now put that together with what Jesus just talked about with eunuchs. God has designed some people not to marry. God has designed some people not to marry. Singleness, listen, singleness should should never be looked down upon. Singleness should never be seen as a bad thing. That's not that's not discrediting. If you want, if you are single and you want to get married, that's not that's not brushing aside the the uh, longing that you have. But the stage of life that God has you in should never be pitied or looked down upon, in in any shape or form. I mean, look what Jesus says in this last sentence: Let the one who can accept this accept it. You see that last bit in verse 12: Let the one who can accept this accept it this is the person whom God grants the ability to accept a life of singleness. By the way, such that was the case with Jesus. Right? It wasn't just Paul who was a single bloke. Jesus never married. He never entered into a romantic relationship. Sorry, Dan Brown, you're wrong. He never slept with a woman. Jesus was not calling others to a standard that he was not willing to embrace himself. He was not calling singles to live a life of abstinence whilst knowing nothing of it. He lived his very teaching. And think about this. Jesus is the most complete and fully human person who ever lived, and he never married. He was single. So church, let me say this here. We need to, and there's a lot of you that are either single, divorced, widowed, many of you, we need to remember that we, as a church, are a mixed group of people made up of people that are divorced, people that are single, people that are married, but we make up one body. We belong to each other. When one part hurts, it affects the rest of your body, like, you know, if if you've noticed if you've got like a pain in your shoulder sometimes that then affects in your hip somehow or whatever right it's because it's, you're all everything's all connected in the same way when one person is either hurting or needs prayer or support we as a body aren't just to be casual about it we're actually called to be one body together and to support each other and to pray for each other and 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 rivet one another on um I need to know, as it were, what the Christian life is like in your single shoes, as it were, and pray and support you. You need to know what the Christian life is like for me and my married shoes and pray and support me. I mean, Paul talks, he goes on there in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about, hey, the married man has cares for this world, right? His wife and his children. Well, well, same, And but the single person doesn't, but they have their own affairs over here. And, and so, We're one body collectively, and we come together, and we support each other, and we pray for each other. And I want to acknowledge every single person in here say that you are valuable, and we love you, and you have a huge contribution to make for the kingdom of God, and particularly here at this local church, okay? Craig Bloomberg puts it this way. He has some really insightful thoughts. He says this, Children, uh, sorry, Christian singles, listen to this, Christian singles need much more support from their married friends and their churches, who must value them as equally significant members of the body of Christ. In a society that constantly pressures people into hasty marriages, the church desperately needs to encourage all who sense God's leading them to remain single for however long or short a period of time to remain faithful to God's Guidance. Amen. So those, and let me say this too for those of us that are parents in here, because this is important. Right? Those of us that are parents, we obviously you, have, you heard the term more as caught than taught, right? And so our what we're living for, our worldview is going to naturally trickle down and affect our kids. Now, for the, those of us that are parents and we have kids that are are not, or either young or they're not married yet, we, we long for them to, we, we hope for them to find good, godly spouses. And, 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 and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to be careful the way in which we, even as a young age now, particularly if you've got little girls, the, we need to be careful the way in which we are communicating or messaging to our children. You know, instead of saying something like, oh, we can't wait for your wedding day. We could say, look, marriage is a beautiful gift from God, but our deepest desire for you, sweetheart, is to become like Christ, to know him, whether you are single or whether you are married. This will help your child put their hope in the right place. Now, heaps more can be said on that. Some great books that are written, but we have to move on in Matthew's gospel. And so um, let's pick up here because after teaching on matters related to marriage, divorce, singleness, uh, the next subject that naturally follows is kids, right? Um, the importance of, of children is not a new topic. Do you guys remember what, I don't know, it was like a month ago, Dan, where you opened up 18 and Children approach Jesus unless you become like one of these little children. Um, that's who's the greatest in the kingdom. I think wasn't that the title of your sermon? Who's the greatest or something? I don't even know. Um, you were referring to me, right? At that, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, now nah, I've distracted myself. Yeah. Um, so, so if you remember when Dan, when Dan was preaching on this, he you know the question was who's the greatest in the kingdom and and what does Jesus do? He has a child actually. He brings as like a uh, Object lesson he literally grabs like Daisy, you know, she Daisy just walked out of the room but you know grabs Daisy and says this is this is what it's like. You guys remember that from chapter 18? Well, well, here we're back again. We've come full circle to that now. And in this scene though that children it's interesting the the text says that children are brought to Jesus. Have a look at 19:13. Then children were brought were brought to him. Now There's nothing unusual about that. In the Old Testament, it was custom for parents to bring their their children to rabbis so that rabbi would would pray for them, pray a blessing on them. Um, One rabbinic tradition describes the practice of bringing a 13-year-old boy to the elders in Jerusalem at festival time to bless him and pray for him that he might be worthy to study the Torah and encourage and engage in good deeds. So, Again, this, this practice of bringing little ones was pretty stock standard. So it's somewhat odd how the disciples react here. Notice again, 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Then the disciples scolded them. What a scene, right? It's just, it's, uh, now, here's the deal who's the them? could be directed at the kids, right? A bunch of cranky old blokes. Get out of here, you kids. Or remember they were brought to the disciples. So like you picture Daisy, right? Like if I was standing up here, you'd probably bring Daisy to me because she might, she could probably get up the steps, but you'd want to carry her like you do often at Woolies or whatever you're doing, right? Carry Daisy, bring her. And so it, the, the rebuke could be directed at like I'm rebuking Daisy or I'm rebuking you for bringing her to me. Don't know who's getting corrected. What is interesting, though, is um, why why are they so upset? Like, well, it, it could be that they they feel like their stride is broken, right? Jesus is teaching; they're heading to Jerusalem. Remember, he said, "I'm heading to Jerusalem now." That's where we're going, so now their journey's been interrupted. So they kind of feel a bit like, "Whoa, we're hey, come on, we don't have time for kids." Um, or they believe that look, Jesus can't be bothered, busy busy guy. Um, whatever the case, look at chapter 18. Since you're just there with your Bible, clearly they've got a bit of amnesia going on here. Because look at 18, verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. <laughs> like, were you guys not listening? Do you not believe that? Like, what 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 happened? So, so these families bring these children to Jesus and As a result, the disciples give him a tongue lashing. But Jesus flips the rebuke back on the disciples. Notice what he says in verse 14 of chapter 19. So if you want to turn back to 19, 14. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And notice the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me, guys. Leave them be. Leave it with me. And notice the the interesting words here. And do not hinder them. Don't put an obstacle in their way, guys. Don't do anything to get in the way of someone who would bring a child to me. Do not hinder them. And so, Jesus, what does he do? He welcomes them lays his hands on them, and prays for them. But I want you to catch the words that he uses. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs. It's an interesting phrase here, the way he puts this. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't think, I'm not persuaded that that means that s- children are automatically saved just because they're kids. But what Jesus is highlighting is like sort of an object lesson is their posture of dependence, because kids have that. And Jesus says this attitude, this posture of humility, dependence, being needy, being vulnerable, those, that type of posture, that type of uh, dependence, that's how you approach me, like a child. Heaven belongs to such as these. I, I don't think the point there means we're just supposed to be nice to kiddos. Like, oh, you know, Jesus, was just you're just nice. He's saying there's a, there's a greater point. Guys, disciples you're wanting to be in the kingdom of heaven, right, boys? Right. Okay, well, look at this child. Look at the way their dependence, their humility, the way that they're coming to me. That's the kind of posture you're to have when you come to me as well, okay? Now, it's interesting here, some paedobaptists, those people who baptize infants, will make a claim, I, you know, I have to address it just quickly, that this is where Jesus baptizes infants. Don't see water, I don't see baptism going on. I don't know where the heck they're getting that from, but, you know, hey, there you go. So if someone says it's biblical and they point to this text, just ask them, where's the water? Where's the baptism going on? The greater thing is he's saying you need to have, like 18, a childlike faith. Now, where do we go from here? Because no one's going to deny, like, yeah, that, that's a good thing. I think there's a principle here we can't pass up, that Jesus values kids. And and that's probably not like surprising like oh yeah I wouldn't I mean of course he's the lord right but jesus actually he's busy he, who knows reading between the lines here a bit of conjecture who knows what kind of people were waiting in line so to speak to talk to him maybe that's why the disciples were like can't you see how big the queue is these little kids just make a beeline for jesus well 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 we don't know but you know who knows? Maybe like, you know, an, an, a modern-day Elon Musk was standing in the queue, and we were kind of like, wow, this is going to be interesting. Actually, the pro, there was, and that'll be coming up soon in the next little section here of the rich young ruler, right? And, and, and who knows what kind of person was standing there. We want to see, All oh, this is going to be interesting, how Jesus is going to respond to this person, what's going to happen, how they're going to, right? And here comes these little children, and Jesus actually sets aside, as it were, the rich guy that's waiting, and all these other people, and says, I really want to take this moment to pray for these kids, to embrace them. And I think that that is a good principle for us, not only as parents, but again, coming back to this idea that we are a family, that we are a church, and we need to highly prize our young people. That child evangelism should be a top priority in light of how open kids are. Not, number one, they're created in God's image, but they are open to hearing the gospel. Hey, listen, this world is trying to inculcate our children and indoctrinate them with some wicked stuff. Okay? I'm not gonna go and list all those things. You can figure that out. But it is more, the, it's a great opportunity for us to actually. As a, fa- as a church family, raise them up, as it were. You know, it takes a, a village to raise a child or whatever they say. It's the same thing. You know, my, my kids watch many of you pray and worship when we come here and we gather. And Daisy will be doing the same thing in the years to come. It's, th- th- it's another reason why it's such a priority that we actually worship together, that we don't do kids' church oxymoronic language this is the church. This is the gathering. This is church. This is this is how, how it works. And so we we want kids to be with us, to be praying with us, to be watching mom and dad opening up their Bibles. We try to have times where we address the kids in the service, in the sermon, whatever it might be, looking for creative ways. And so I've got stacks of literature on that. I would love to talk to you about it. And I'm withholding from an hour rant on that subject. But I would love to talk to any of you and help educate you, hopefully tilt you in the right direction, that there's a lot of value there with this. And that's why we intentionally do these things. Um, So because at the end of the day, parents are the primary disciplers of their kids, period. Full stop, straight up. I was a youth pastor. I had a big, cool youth group and all that stuff. And I always was shocked... That those same kids at graduation day, when I was ready for my kudos, just looked at mom and dad who were pretty lame in my view, and they would say, "I just want to thank." And I'm like, "Okay, here it comes. Lay it on me, mom and dad. Oh, really? You know?" And and uh, you know, when those kids now, now they're this was years ago, now they're 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 having their own kids and families. They're not they're not calling me right. I'm not there. I'm not there at their wedding day. I was there for some of their wedding days, but but you know, their their parents are there. Parents are going to be there at the end of the day, right? Parents are going to have the biggest impact. And again, just to bring it back full circle, this is a church family of singles and marrieds and kids, and we need to embrace these things. And so um, let's not hinder them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So, and, and that said, let me just say to all you parents, look, Dan and, um, Dan and myself, now I can speak for Dan as well, we don't get, we don't get upset if your kids are, are, crying or having a fussy morning or need a nap or whatever. Like, that's life. <laughs> like we're not like, oh my gosh, can't you like, you know, can't you see that some people in here are trying to sleep and you should you know wake them up and stuff? <coughs> Careful, I better wrap this up soon. God knows what I'm, <laughs> God God knows what I'm going to say up here. End well, Rob. End well. Yeah. So. anyway. Um, but just know that we don't. And I've said this to you parents before. Like we're not, we're not taken back by that. We're not upset by that. Uh, we welcome kids here. We we truly do. Uh, it's it's worth it. Even if yeah, sure. The, yeah, I get it. Your kids a bit fussy, or they didn't sleep all the night before, all that stuff. That's life, man. That, that that's that's life. And and you have to. Shoulder that as a parent, but you're not—you're not just like, "Oh, hurry up, get get the kid out of here." Like we want to embrace your child as a church family, and be praying for you, and knowing ways we can come around you. And and so I say to remember the Titus two sermon, ladies, older women, younger women—great opportunity to be like, "How can I encourage the young moms in this place? How can I be coming around them?" And and moms, we can be learning from the ladies in here as well. Okay, do not hinder the king them because such is the kingdom of heaven. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text about singles, children. Lord, we ask that these principles wouldn't just be nice little things that sit on a shelf in our lives, but truly integrate into the way that we um, Lord, the how we spend our time and our money and our energy and our it, it would be it would be an indictment on us, Lord, if we just heard these things and just folded our Bibles and got in our cars and left. Help us to actually live this out, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.